When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Before we start this video, I just want to mention that only 20.7% of you are subscribed. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to like and subscribe to support the channel. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be discussing goblins. It probably wouldn't surprise you to know that the wizarding community didn't treat goblins with the utmost respect at all times. Purebloods outright hated them, but even the most progressive members of the wizarding world felt a general mistrust for the tiny, monstrous humanoid creatures. And all of those negative interactions built up over the years, burdening wizard-goblin relations, until the goblins rebelled in fact, if we open up our history books and look back at the records of goblins in the wizarding world, we'll find a series of great rebellions centered around one common theme, to be treated with equal respect. What were these rebellions, and what type of impact did they have on the wizarding community? That's what we'll discuss today. First, let's go over a bit of goblin wizard history. For almost all of recorded magical history, goblins in the wizarding world shared a somewhat peaceful coexistence. Although much of goblins' origins isn't well known by wizard scholars, if we take one look at their distant relatives, the North American Pukwudgie, then we can make a few safe assumptions. Primarily, just like humans in the magical community, goblins themselves must have been a diverse species that migrated through the known world. While wizards typically treated other human-like creatures, like the giants, with a fair bit of fear, they never really outwardly displayed the same concern for goblins. Just like humans of the ancient world looked down on wizards, it seems that from the earliest records, wizards treated goblins with an equal amount of disdain. Throughout the goblin rebellions of the 17th and 18th century, this would manifest itself in new laws, like the Code of Wand Use, which we'll talk about later. But if we spend a bit more time talking about the early relationship between wizards and the goblin community, we'll find a peculiar niche that the shorter, more monstrous creatures developed for themselves. Goblins were extremely talented in a handful of things. For starters, they were incredibly smart, and the word often used to describe them was cunning. This, combined with their love for precious metals, made them great gold and silversmiths. At one point in the 11th century, the goblins even crafted the Sword of Godric Gryffindor, the very same blade that would serve Gryffindor's heirs in the centuries to come, and eventually save Harry Potter's life in the Chamber of Secrets. But that weapon's origin is far darker than you might guess. Among the many cultural differences that brought strife to wizards and goblins in the Middle Ages, the most contentious idea was that of ownership. To wizards, it was simple. If you bought something, then you owned it. But to goblins, it was far more complex. Purchasing an item, no matter how expensive, didn't mean that you owned it. 
Most goblins simply thought that you were renting the sword or necklace or what have you for the duration of your life, and goblins could collect it upon your passing. You see, to goblins, ownership always belonged to the creator of the item, and when wizards tried to pass down their goblin-forged heirlooms, it wasn't uncommon for goblins and wizard heirs to come to blows. So when it comes to Gryffindor's sword, you can see why the goblins would hold a grudge. Even before Godric died, the sword's creator, King Ragnarok, tried to manipulate his fellow magical creatures into stealing the blade. That's how much he loved the weapon. In the years following Gryffindor's death, Ragnarok and his fellow goblins were insulted even more, as the sword stayed in Hogwarts and passed through the hands of wizard heirs for nearly 1,000 years. This tale, and others like it, were one of the main sources of resentment that launched the Goblin Rebellions. Centuries later, the goblins continued to thrive and expanded their community's specialization as gold and silversmiths. In the year 1474, they opened Gringotts, the greatest bank in the wizarding world. There, thanks to their cunning, goblins were entrusted with the wealth of the British wizarding community, and even in Harry Potter's era, over 500 years later, Gringotts was the premier bank. If you really think about it carefully, goblins patiently managed the banks and almost all of the finance in the wizarding world. For that reason, and more, they were among the most important beings in the entire magical community. But even in the decades that followed Gringotts' foundation, the goblins continued to suffer harsh treatment from human wizards. Throughout that time, there were likely small protests and battles that the goblins waged in order to gain rights. But it wasn't until the Goblin Rebellion of 1612 that historians decided to pay attention and record the events. We're not quite certain about the exact location, but it seems that this armed conflict arose in or around Hogsmeade Village. The Goblin forces took an inn as their base and ravaged the nearby buildings, setting many of them on fire. The exact number of lives laid down on both sides has been lost to the years but the casualties were remarkably high, at least according to Hogwarts' fifth year History of Magic class. And when we look at the exact cause of this rebellion, there's no shortage of reasons for why the goblins would have started it. At a glance, the average goblin was far more important to the lives of wizards and witches around England, although the same could be said for house elves, who more often than not kept houses clean and meals on the table. Goblins were responsible for far more skilled tasks, Goblins forged the most powerful weapons, indestructible armor, and through their natural propensity for hoarding gold, goblins basically kept the entire wizarding economy moving forward. And yet, wizards and witches looked down on them wherever they went. Not only that, they almost always refused to teach them the ways of wand law, which meant that goblins had to accomplish the magical feats with the far more difficult and more dangerous technique of wandless magic. Even the highest court in Britain, the Wizengamot, refused to allow a goblin a seat. Without fair representation, it's likely that the goblins decided enough was enough and went on a rampage in the year 1612. But unfortunately for the goblin community, their rebellion only made matters worse. In response to the display of violence in Hogsmeade, the wizarding community of Britain convened and created a series of laws that restricted non-human magical creatures. The harshest among them was the new Code of Wand Use, which the Wizards Council passed less than two decades after the rebellion. This restricted wands to human wizards and made it a crime for goblins, house elves, giants, 
and other non-humans to wield them. While human wizards simply hoarded wand law in the centuries before, now it was actually illegal for goblins to study and possess wands. At a glance, you can see how this law made it almost impossible for goblins to defend themselves from wand-armed wizards and witches. But if you think about it more carefully, the restriction on wand ownership would completely hinder the ability of goblins to develop independent of the wizarding community, and meant that they would always depend on them. In later years, the goblins' right group called the Brotherhood of Goblins would protest this law, but even the most progressive human wizards ignored them. Following the first major rebellion in 1612, several more followed throughout the centuries. Again, the causes for these were never explicitly spelled out, but if we take a look at the prejudiced laws of the Ministry of Magic, you wouldn't have a hard time finding a reason for goblins to rebel. Throughout the years, the Ministry denied goblins seats on courts, they tried to restrict goblin management at Gringotts, and they even attempted to force goblins into being house elves. The Goblin Rebellion of 1752 was the next time goblins stood up for themselves, and this one was even bloodier than the battle at Hogsmeade, over a hundred years prior. This time, the goblins pledged themselves to an unlikely alliance, a partnership with werewolves. With the primal beasts on their side, the goblins wreaked havoc across Britain. The reigning Minister of Magic at the time, Albert Boot, was so embarrassed by his inability to control the goblins that he was forced to step down. And not long after, his replacement, a pureblood named Basil Flack, was forced to retire as well. This goblin rebellion was so terrible that Flack only lasted eight weeks in office. Guess he got a lot of flack. It was Flack's successor, Hephaestus Gore, who eventually turned the tides of battle and stopped the rebellion for good. In a series of bloody contests, Gore defeated both the goblins and werewolves, and even killed one of their greatest champions in battle, a goblin warrior known as Vargot. But only shortly later, another disgruntled goblin hero would arise. This was Urg the Unclean, and he was probably the only goblin warrior that Harry Potter and his classmates knew about, because he was depicted on a chocolate frog card. When we look at Urg's origins, we'll actually find some pretty sad insight into the life of a goblin. For most of his days, it seemed like Urg had to always be careful where he walked, and try his best to avoid eye contact with human wizards and witches. Their never-ending jeers were a constant threat whenever Urg just wanted to walk to the local grocers, or stop by a pub that served his kind. And worse, Urg had to mentally prepare himself to endure physical bullying as well. It was after one of these events, when a group of wizarding students threw him into a body of water, that Urg decided enough was enough. Tired of being treated like a second-class citizen, Urg organized his fellow goblins and led a rebellion. This rebellion, like the others before it, was eventually put down with the superior numbers and ones of the Ministry of Magic. But in 1890, another goblin, by the name of Ranrock, took up arms. Ranrock continued the legacy of his ancestors, trying to expand the rights of goblin kind. But Ranrock's allies, a dark wizard by the name of Victor Rookwood, showed that the goblin leader was willing to go much further than his predecessors. Ranrock will be featured as an antagonist in the new Hogwarts Legacy game. Ultimately, by the time of Harry Potter's enrollment at Hogwarts, the goblin rebellions were relegated to a short series of lectures in the History of Magic courses. 
Although goblins still appeared to be treated as second-class citizens, they had managed to expand their rights somewhat. Perhaps by the time Potter's own children were grown, goblins would be treated with the respect they deserve. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.